Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are here with the Daniels, who are talking about their blockbuster art house hit, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which just won two Gotham Awards, including Best Picture. Here they are. So let's talk about the map. First of all, congratulations on your Thank Gotham you. Award. Uh, thank you so much. Let's talk about the mammoth success here. It's eight, not only is it A24's biggest grossing film ever, 70 million here in the US, 103 million worldwide. This is like the biggest art house hit of the year. You know, the, the poor business is going through a scenario right now where we don't know what works at the art house, what crosses over, uh, what are adults, you know, uh, will adults see things outside of um, Marvel films? Here you, you guys just hit this grand slam. Did you ever have any kind of sense that this was going to play to such a massive crowd? <laughs> well, thank you so much for that, that that lovely setup of a question. We um, we like to chase things that feel impossible. And I think uh, one thing that felt impossible to us was actually creating a indie film that could, you know, survive this climate where, you know, blockbusters, big franchises, superhero films have kind of uh, become the only success success stories lately. Um, and so very early on, we were like, this is going to be impossible, but can we take our love of big, fun action films and our love of personal idiosyncratic indie films and can we combine them into a single thing that we you know not only will we be very proud of but also hopefully will connect with a bigger audience specifically in theaters because i think this film um, was very much designed to be seen with a bunch of strangers and so to us they were like okay that's a really interesting goal um let's spend some time trying to get there that being said we didn't think it was actually going to do that well. You know, it was right after the pandemic. I mean, the pandemic's still happening, but like right after theaters started opening up and um, we weren't sure how audiences were going to uh, react to the film. So this is, uh, on the one hand, it was the goal, but on the other hand, we never thought it was attainable. So it's exciting to be here right now. So let's go way back to the beginning. You, because I remember this was, this was a project held in secret. It was like, what's the Daniels next movie? <laughs> And it was like, well, who's going to be in it? <laughs> and I just remember the great degree of secrecy. But you wrote this obviously pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And what was it like? Did you have, did you, was it a hard sell? Did you have to circulate it? Or was it always a slam dunk? You had already been in business with A24 and they were there immediately. And then the Russos. So mm -hmm. tell me about, because I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like, oh, we, you know, because it's such an ambitious project that um, I, I'm just I'm just curious, how easy was it to get mounted? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
compared to a lot of our filmmaker friends, uh, it seems, I feel so lucky that it was pretty easy, you know, like, uh, and, and sometimes people are like, how did you, how on earth did you pitch this crazy movie? And, and we say like, well, our last movie was about a farting corpse. Uh, and then we went into these meetings and we were like, we want our next one, uh, to be, uh, an accessible, uh, action adventure starring like Kung Fu superstars. It, it was like a much easier pitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we, you know, had a vague sense of it, um, brought it up to the Russos. They wanted to, uh, finance it and like, and so we were like, okay, cool. But um, they ended up just kind of being part of the development for a while. Uh, and then we went to A24, who had been eager to be involved all along. And they they were like, yes, please, please, please. And so we just went straight back to the same people we already had a relationship with for so many years, which is like so comforting to just be like, oh, we know each other on a first name basis already. Uh, and they like believed in it even as big as actors fell in and out of it they they really championed the us and the project not just kind of like the package deal or whatever yeah. um yeah honestly the 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 biggest struggles were i think there were two uh, the first one was just our ambition was way too big and our our skill set wasn't up to the task you know so we had to i think we had to grow as filmmakers before we were ready to shoot the film and so um or to even write the script we had to really grow and learn and, and that took many years and we were so grateful to all our partners for being patient with us during that time mm -hmm. um and then the other part part of uh the the puzzle was just just the casting of the film was was not um always easy because we we you know we we knew each character had to have a very specific kind of performance and finding the right people especially within the asian american acting community just because it's, it is smaller than um than uh, you know the, the rest of the acting community, it was it was an interesting process to find the right people, and we're so happy that we you know took the the time and effort to really go hunting because this cast is amazing, and this cast is, is is they're the ones who made this movie what they are, what it, what it is. And, but those those two were the hardest parts. Everything else was actually people were very supportive, and and we're, we're really grateful for that. We're also like a little censored from it sometimes. That's our, true. our producer Jonathan Wong has been with us over ten years, and like. Uh, he lets us focus on like the passion side and he's like, all right, guys, I'll, I'm going to dive into the industry and yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. come, I'll come back with the, the, the emergencies, right. you unsung, know? unsung hero, unsung sure. hero for sure. Yeah. yeah. Was Michelle, was she the first one to board? Yeah. So like the whole movie kind of wouldn't exist if Michelle, not only did she agree to do it, she like enthusiastically agreed to do it, you know? Um, and and that was right when yes. Crazy Rich Asians came out was yeah. when she came on board and that made the whole thing a lot easier to kind of sell to other collaborators and and folks, you know. But here's the thing: Michelle Yeoh has a gravity to her. So the moment you tell any other cast member, any other producer, or, or even like a crew member uh, that Michelle, it's going to start Michelle Yeoh, it it definitely attracts certain people. I mean, you you, you can definitely say that Jamie Lee Curtis signed up for this project specifically because she's always wanted to work with Michelle, and I, mm -hmm. I think that's like, like like I said, yeah, she's she's an EP on the project. This is her movie, and we're so we're so grateful to be part of her say, legacy yeah. i was gonna say because the mu the movie is such a beautiful homage right down to the bullseye mm -hmm. uh of michelle and her and her canon i was curious what would this movie still have been made if if she wasn't attached 
Not really. Like we, <laughs> like early drafts, it it was a little more fluid. But then by the time we gave it to her, we had like it had become such a story of a mother, but also like like uh, she's in every scene of the movie. She had to do kung fu and emotion and comedy and pull an audience in. So like the producers were like, "Who? What happens if she says no?" And and we were really. Uh, uh, low on ideas. Um, our, our only idea was to do like a performance art prank movie uh, where we cast Dan Kwan's mom. And uh, the whole joke is that a non-actor is uh, getting swept up in the matrix. Uh, but that one would have been um, a, a really challenging movie to make <laughs> or finance. Now, I, this is me asking, cause I want to know, and I'm sure I know you've probably been asked this a million times, but I want to know. I mean, Key Wei Kwan. Mm-hmm. Where was he? How did you get him back? I mean, one of the most beautiful things is when we were at South by was when Michelle said on stage, "Don't go away." Exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. go away. Where was he? Where was he? How did well? How did the whole idea come about to approach him? Right. And where was he? in his career. Yeah. Yes. Well, we, we kind of have parallel stories. Like he tells his side of the story. We tell his, uh, our side of the story and they kind of are happening simultaneously, which is kind of uh, really interesting. But uh, our side of the story was that we were really um, struggling to find the right performer for this job specifically because we knew we wanted them to be able to pull off all of the action and the fight choreography. Um, but oftentimes those type of uh, men are also, you know, they, they have a certain look. They're very tough. They're, the way that they, they uh, perform um, or not even perform, they just exist in a very confident space. And we knew that this character, Wayman, had to be just so sweet, just down to his core. So that like even um, sometimes if we were to audition certain people, you could tell a little bit that they're acting soft rather than truly, you know, being soft. And so uh, we, were, we were having a hard time figuring out like, who to cast for this role. And one day I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw someone post like a, a meme of short round. And I, 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 I perked up and like, what is, what is short round up to right now? Cause I did the math in my head. I'm like, I think he might be the right age. Like, where did he go? And we started doing research, watching YouTube videos. I, I, I quickly found out that he was on the um, stunt team for um, Brian Singer's X-Men movie. And I was like, wait a minute, and then we were like, like, he's a martial artist. Yeah. He's Asian American. He speaks Chinese and English already. All right. That's the other thing. Someone had, they have to speak, you know, three different languages. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, it's a very, very small, like the Venn diagram of all those things was, was a, a small candidate. Pool. So we really got our hopes up before we auditioned him. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the miracle is that at the mm-hmm. exact same time, he had, he had stepped away from Hollywood after being kind of, um, demoralized you know after being like a superstar as a kid the roles just dried up the auditions were like kind of demeaning and especially especially since all of his friends you know all this goonies uh co-stars he was watching them get auditions every week and so that was actually extremely hard for him and so he left and decided to go to film school to go behind the camera and yeah He's he's had the most fascinating life, like just working in Taiwan on soap operas or going to Hong Kong to be first uh, or the first AD for Wong Kar Wai. You know, his his life has been really interesting. Um, But he was lucky for us living in Los Angeles, like not far from where we wanted to shoot the movie. And he had just watched Crazy Rich Asians, got an intense FOMO 
and wanted to get back into acting because he was convinced there might be interesting roles again. So this is um, happening the same month that we were having our conversations. Yeah. So he read this. He like came in and he read the script and then got really freaked out about how badly he wanted the part. <laughs> and uh, he came in and like killed it in the audition. He like really worked hard to prove himself. He like uh, he instantly won us over as soft Waymond and then uh, really worked hard to get the intense alpha Waymond version of him, you know, to differentiate them and, and, and work on those switches. And uh, it was a miracle, you know? Um, yeah. It, like it was a hundred percent the perfect person. <laughs> and now there's a rumor that Jeff Cohen of the Goonies is his lawyer. That's not a rumor. That's a fact. <laughs> that's a, yeah, man. He came to set. It's yeah. surreal. We got to hang out with Chunk. It, yeah, it, that that is also hilarious. Just the fact that they're they're actually. I think they like live close to each other. They're still really good friends. Yeah. It, like that is just so sweet. Um, the, the two of them. It's it's very it's very inspiring mm-hmm. friendship. Yeah. Now Stephanie Sue, uh, talk about look. I was watching uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Knew of her wonder there. How did she how did she impress you guys? How did she come on your radar? The the funny thing is we we did an episode of uh Nora from Queens um while trying to get the movie greenlit and went out there and it actually became this really fun project to meet a whole bunch of int- like incredible Asian American actors uh cuz our episode had tons of guest stars so uh we got to meet like Jamie Chung and Simu Liu and Harry Shum Jr. Uh, but there was one role that needed to be cast that was pretty prominent and we did auditions and met Stephanie that way. And she got cast as a character ironically named Shushu in that show. Uh, and we just like were instant creative kind of kindred spirits. Um, and, uh, so we came back to LA and, uh, started auditions for joy and and told the casting director like we we know someone incredible out in New York can we um can we get Stephanie Shu to come in yeah. um but and, I, I yeah. will say just like the first time we met her in that audition room it was very funny because we we met a lot of really talented funny people that day just kind of walking walking them through the audition room and she comes in and she's you know she's she's short she's like five foot tall kind of unassuming just wearing a hoodie and we're like okay what do you what do you what do you got and we 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 threw her a, a really difficult um, prompt. Um, for her to try for um, the first take and she just uh, you can watch the chemistry in her brain as she's doing the calculus of how to uh, you know combine all the tones we were asking her to combine and the moment we said action she just like fell into this version of the character that like blew everyone away everyone actually we wanted her to do it again I was like can you do that again and so we had it we actually had her do do the, the sequence twice just because it was so fun to watch and i i think uh, what people are seeing now on the screen is only like a fraction of what she's capable of um in, in our movie at least i think she is like one of the most talented interesting uh, playful people we've ever worked with so i'm so happy that people are getting to see her and that she's i feel like she's going to have a really uh, wonderful career (laughs) now the entire concept i mean you start grounded it's a it's 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 a family they're struggling with their business they're being strong-armed by the irs um their daughter is very non-traditional um and then it becomes, you know, this LSD Molly trip. And I'm curious, how did that come to be? Were you 
because what's interesting is I watched it with family. I saw it in a big audience at South by and it, it played through the roof and um, watched it with family and people in the room were crying. Mm-hmm. They were really moved by it by the end. Wow. And um, I'm, I, I'm just like, how did that, how did that all come to be? Was it all this whole thing that we have multiple, you know, we have multiple, multiple lives and rebirth. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, uh, before we pitched it to anybody, we'd been kicking it around as like a half-baked idea. And then we kind of came up with the structure of like, start with a grounded Chinese American family, then have our movie get interrupted by more and more multiverses until meaninglessness sets in and and from the very beginning that was kind of what excited us was like making a movie that's really relatable and then ruining it (laughs) um (laughs) and then can we fix it can you bring can you bring the audience back from a mess and and i think we once we came with that structure we we felt like it was like a really therapeutic uh concept personally because we're the world was so overwhelming and messy it was like, oh, if we can capture that messiness and try to pull ourselves and the audience back, like that'll be like a really emotional journey. And then, uh, but we we didn't think it would take five or six years. <laughs> did now? Did you shoot this during COVID? We shot it right before. Um, yeah, we got shut down with one more day left of, um, or we shut ourselves down with one more day left of uh, principal photography. So it was, yeah. it was a very bizarre night. It Our was- last day of shooting was going to involve James Hong. Um, and uh, we were like reading the headlines and, and we were like, no, I don't, I don't want to shoot a movie with a 91 year old superstar when yeah. there's this confusing epidemic, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's weird promoting this movie uh, that we shot over like two and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah. What, what, uh, when did you do that pickup day? We did, we did like four or five pickup days l- later that year. And we shot rocks. Uh, we shot some green screen footage. Um, and uh, Michelle was in Paris at the time. And yeah. so we had to do a remote shoot, like an all nighter remote shoot that was uh, pretty miserable. But, you know, we everyone was such a trooper. But yeah, we we, we, so we had a lot of little pieces, little that pieces we carefully, slowly, yeah. safely shot, you know, because yeah. of the pandemic. So she was in Paris in a remote studio. Yes. Yeah. She was with a French crew and we were at like 3 a.m. We're on a Zoom call with her coaching her through a, an emotional scene that she had to shoot on green screen. And yeah. then we shot the, the backgrounds here in LA. Yeah. But it wasn't an action scene. It's, it's no. the scene in the van where Waymond is talking to her about divorce. Uh, so he had to act opposite a stand in and she had to act opposite a French first AD. <laughs> and then both it's a testament to both of them as actors that, uh, their performances just feel totally authentic, even yeah. though the circumstances were my, my least favorite kind of thing to do to an actor, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And also shout out to our VFX team for making it just feel seamless. It's and, mm-hmm. and our camera, our camera team, just camera and lighting. Everyone did a really mm-hmm. great job where it feels so seamless, even though it was probably one of the hardest uh, shoot days of my life, just because of how, uh, 
I don't know if, if, if anyone's ever shot remotely, it is the opposite of what makes um, filmmaking uh, magic, you know, fun or organic. It, or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where was the bulk of this shot? Was it in Simi Valley? Mm-hmm. So see, we were in, we shot for eight weeks and I think we we're in Simi Valley for uh, six of them and then went to like the San Fernando Valley for a week and then down into LA for a whole bunch of little stuff for one week. Um, but yeah, our goal was to try to um, maximize the budget in every way possible. And one of the most expensive things you can do is to move your production. You know, that's it just costs so much money and time. And and so we decided let's find a building and try to sh- use it for as much as we can. And that there was this, this big office building in Simi Valley that was just perfect. And we turned it into like a mini studio, um, building sets within the building all over, you know, in the cafeteria and, and, um, in the hallways, we were just constantly building little sets everywhere. And then what was the hardest part? Was it the VFX or was it the stunt work on this? Hmm. I, I wonder what was hardest for us. Um, uh, I mean, so the, the, the really lovely thing about the, both of those things. Honestly, the hardest job for for most things is just finding the right people, right? That's like that's the most important thing. Yeah. If you find the right person for the job, ninety mm-hmm. percent of your work is done. And so that was actually really difficult, just finding the right team for our low budget mm-hmm. uh, action movie because this stuff should take a long time. It should be really expensive, but uh, because we, you know, we've been making really low budget music videos for a very long time. Uh, we have a lot of tricks up our sleeves, but we just need to find the right collaborators who would be willing to trust us and believe we're going to do this safely. We're going to do this uh, quickly and it's going to be fun. And so we found, uh, we brought on uh, Tim Mulek, our um, stunt coordinator that we uh, have been working with for about 10 years now. And um, so he, he's, a good friend and a collaborator. And then the, the most, one of the most important um, aspects of the film was just the fight choreography and finding the right people for that was really difficult, but we ended up finding uh, the Marshall club on YouTube. They're just a bunch of friends on YouTube who uh, studied all of the old Hong Kong action films that we loved and we grew up with and, and they were just the perfect collaborators. And so that stuff was actually, it was, it was physically hard and it was like, taxing on the day but it was really fun and way more seamless than it should have been because i mean we, we were working with michelle yo so like you, you know you only need to do a few takes with her so it's like it's things like that that made it really fun and like surprisingly easy mm-hmm. um the vfx was was tough just because we were creating a completely new pipeline for this film um, we knew we didn't want to go to a traditional vfx vendor or, or studio just because it, in the past that hasn't always been the best for our process and we had a couple meetings and yeah, we yeah. talked about it with our producers and we we're like, if any studio is going to laugh us out of the room, if we go in and, and suggest what we want to do, you know, but, but we knew we could do it based on how we approached all our short films. Um, and so we brought on our, our buddy who's also a music video director, um, Zach Stoltz to become our, our supervisor. And he pulled together a small team of, of, of our friends and basically from the ground up during a pandemic invented a, a whole pipeline for all of us to be able to share projects and work on each other's um, shots and, and, you know, keep it all organized. You know, it was, it was like 500, 600 shots. I don't know. Yeah. Um, between and, and like between like uh, you know nine people, we all had to kind of work together to make it happen. But in both cases, the challenge was the system finding yeah. the right process uh, yeah. and people. But like, and which is not how people usually talk about filmmaking. You know, like yeah. usually you're talking about like lens choice or you know. But there's we had to figure out what's the process that's going to help us pull off 
this crazy ambitious thing and and have a good time you know yeah. um, so we were constantly doing things the wrong way technically the wrong way but it was the right way for this movie and i think that's like a big thing that we always try to tell other filmmakers is like sometimes the process that's you're supposed to be doing is going to be so uh counter uh productive to your film and like mm -hmm. you got to rethink constantly rethinking how um how we do things this is this is daniel shiner's secret weapon he's he's very much like a um uh, I don't know how to how to put it. You're very skeptical of of any system or institution, and he he needs like he, why do we do it that way? Exactly. He wants to dissect every 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 single process and until then it makes the sense other to part him. of it that we yeah. do is like try to try to see problems before they come, yeah, and and manage expectations because doing things differently can be a nightmare for crew, you know, yes. where yes. they're like, there's a reason we do it this way, and so there's a lot of pre production discussion about like what could go wrong if we change the way it's normally done? How yes. can we manage expectations? Like, and we, we tried, you know, to, to tell our stunt team and tell our VFX team and tell, you know, uh, the camera team what we were doing differently and why. Yeah. And be like, is that okay with you guys? Is, <laughs> you think that'll work? <laughs> During the pandemic, when you're, when you were assembling the film, did it change greatly? You know, because everyone went into lockdown and a lot of artists started, everyone started rethinking things and reassessing whatever they shot. Did that, did things change greatly or no, not, not so much? There was something like cosmically weird about how thematically appropriate our movie was to the pandemic. Like we yeah. would go into work and I'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Like this character is talking about what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. And what I'm feeling right now is something I've never felt in my entire life. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, it, it, there was a really coincidental kind of feeling and it, it kind of made us just feel urgent about getting it out there. Cause, cause it felt, like a story that people could really use, you yeah, know, we, would, we, we would, were using it we were, ourselves. We, we would do like small test screenings for friends just to track how we were doing. Um, and almost every one of those little screenings, someone would say, I, I think you guys should release this movie right now. Like whatever you're yeah. doing right now, just finish it so you can put it out. Um, it's like a good scene sign yeah. if people in the test screening are like, can I watch it again? And we're like, Oh no, yeah. No. Yeah, so like, what, our first test screening, someone's like, when are you guys just doing another test screening? I need to show this to my mom. You know, it's <laughs> like, like <laughs> it, it was just the right time in the right place. And and for us, most of the work during the pandemic was us just refining, like refining our original plan. So the, the plan, basically the, the structure of the film and most of the biggest pieces are exactly how we wrote it. It was just fine tuning the energy and the tone so that people could, mm -hmm. so we could make the chaos, you know, palatable and understandable for people because I, like early test screens, I think sometimes it was a little too chaotic or whatever, but that was mostly what we we're doing was just the engineering uh, um, and executing the, our, our ambitious goal. And we're mm -hmm. so grateful that we had the time for it. And A24 is very patient with us. But uh, yeah, for the most part, we, 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 we stayed the course and we're so proud that it, it worked. Now, let's talk more about those test screenings. Yeah. Did, look, before light hit, hit the screen at, in Austin, Texas, A24 knew they had something special. Mm. And I'm curious, was that coming away from those test screenings, were they like, oh my God, we've never seen reactions like this before. They had films, they had to 
sit on films and decide, okay, this is this film's going to be distributed theatrically. This film is mm -hmm. not. And did that come out of a, a particular test screening where they're like, oh my god, this is off, this is off the charts? <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we got our process from our editor friend Matt Hannum, who cut Swiss Army Man, and uh, and so when we do we do a ton of internal test screenings where when we're editing, we show it to maybe three to five people every few weeks and talk to them a bunch about what their experience was like. And we don't tell any producers uh, what happened. <laughs> and it's just for us to kind of catch our bearings and orient ourselves. And so um, that was all we did until Picture Lock and, and A24 trusted us um, a lot uh, that's, that's one to thing, do it that way. Yeah, one, one thing that's really interesting about A24's process is they don't do any test screenings for the actual edit really it's like very much at about, least with us well at least for yeah who knows what happens with other films but then so they're very trusting of our process and the only reason they do test screens at the end is just for marketing purposes which is really um a, a, like a real gift as a filmmaker to have mm -hmm. a collaborator like that and there was one time where we sent a link out and got feedback from a, a bunch of people right towards the end to kind of yeah. be like hey is, is this good right um but yeah so we only did one traditional test screening ever uh, or no, I think they did two, but I went to one yeah. where they, but it was for marketing purposes, a theater with like hundreds of people there. And I went like uh, with, with our producer and manager, Josh, and I was pretty nervous, you know, to hear, you know, some random person uh, who came in off the street say this movie's confusing, you know, and too long. Uh, and that's that what I was, I was prepared for because that's, you know, test screens, they don't even know what they're going to see. And that screening went so well i had so much fun like people were like screaming and laughing and cheering during the butt plug fight and i was like oh. and it was the first time i ever saw the rock scene with a big audience and and so like i was very shocked how much fun i had that night and i i think that was the night where we all doubled down on the theatrical experience etc um but they uh their takeaway was that it's a hard movie to market because it's a hard movie to describe but that the scores were very high for would you recommend this to someone? Um, and so then, you know, we did a we did a slow and steady release, yeah. knowing that like people are gonna talk about it. Uh, yeah. That's our best hope. You know? Yeah, they did. They actually we we did. They decided it was very smart of them, and we were kind of like not sure if it was gonna work, but they were like the marketing isn't going to be what makes this movie work. Like no one's going to really understand what the marketing is. And so we're not going to spend too much money on that compared, compared to some other movies. Instead, we're going to put all our resources into giving out free tickets. And so for like weeks before the, before Just we went like wide, advanced screenings. they were doing advanced screens in every city for like, you know, like two or three a week sometimes um, just to get people in, in the seat because they knew if people saw it, they would bring their friends. And it was like, um, yeah, we, we weren't sure if it was going to work, but they mm -hmm. were really um, confident in it. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I don't know how to distribute a movie, but I was like, what are you doing? You're just giving away like thousands <laughs> of tickets. This is dumb, guys. Like you're renting theaters to give away. <laughs> Uh, but no, they knew what they were doing. Can you share with us what's next? Uh, yeah, man. Award season press uh, <laughs> interviews. Until we die. We're going to become podcasters, <laughs> pub yeah, public yeah. figures, no more uh, movies. Um, we, uh, 
we have a we have a handful of projects. We 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 just signed this uh, wonderful deal with Universal, and um, so far Donna and her whole team they've been so welcoming, and and we're really grateful for for this opportunity. So we we're working on a few projects over there, trying to figure out which one's going to be the one that rises to the top. Um, we're we're working on one that is probably um in the same vein as everything everywhere but but somehow bigger which is a little scary i don't know how, it feels even more ambitious and more scary to me but i'm excited about that one and then there's another one that is uh much smaller like a a, a, char- a weird character thing that um that we you know we are excited to chase but we don't know when it's gonna gonna happen yeah. so, so vague we, vague answers but <laughs> yeah but, they, but they're all uh you know various genre mashups they're all a little perverted a little emotional uh and just depending on our mood each week we're trying to write a little on each one you know the daniels everything everywhere all at once thank you so much thank you for having us this was thank fun. you thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. 